my name is Renghel and you are listening to episode 5 of season 2 of the Musician's Journey podcast. I am absolutely honored to share this interview with you where Emil Pandolfi talks about his decades of experience in the music industry. But before that, I have some practical information for you. This is a bi-weekly podcast to which you can keep track of by following on ko-fi.com slash the Musician's Journey podcast. There you can write your comments on your favorite episodes. And if you want to support it, there is a digital tip jar. The soundtrack is made by Mohamed Amer, a.k.a. Gozira. I am a cellist and I have recently opened my online cello course, which consists of video tutorials for beginners. But there will be more and more material there also for intermediate learners. If you're curious, go to ragnhildvesenberg.com. There is a link to that in the show notes and scroll down on the homepage or check out my YouTube channel. For the listeners of my podcast, you will get 15% off with the discount code TMJP, short for the Musician's Journey podcast. I was thinking of making a really generous discount, but I realized I'd then have to raise the overall prices for the courses. Maybe that's something to keep in mind for the next time, to set prices high in order to give good deals. This is the type of thinking that's starting to creep in as I'm talking to musicians about business. I'm so bad with that B word, business. And my last recommendation for you today is The Box. I've been taking part in an online platform which facilitates the actual finishing of our projects so that an idea can travel from inside my head out into writing from there into a structure by the way with other people to hold me accountable and finally to the type of finish line that's relevant for that project at that time. It's a lovely little community where we meet online once a week and outside of that we have a space online for sharing and commenting on each other's processes. Does this sound interesting to you? Read more at or on theboxworkshop.com and by using the code CELLO, C-E-L-L-O, at checkout, you'll get 30% off your first month. And of all recommendations that are not related to today's guest, Emil Pandolfi has been performing and recording his piano arrangements since the time we listened to cassettes. He wrote a book last year about his experiences as a pianist and musician and why business is a word we can't ignore. After our talk, he sent me the following email. He wrote, There is something I should have said that I think is very, very important. And it is this. You can be successful and not be famous. I have a very successful and happy life, but I am not famous, never will be. And my message here is that you can be hugely successful in the arts and never be famous. There are hundreds of musicians who are currently making a living online, but whom we will never hear of. Other people think that the only way to be successful in the arts is to have a well-known name. I am an example of one of those very happy people who are not well-known, and that's okay with me. I heard a speaker at a music conference say... 
Let's say you have found your niche market, which is something we all need to do. Let's say you have 2000 followers or fans, which is not a lot. And let's say half of them spend $50 in a year on your CD, concert tickets, merchandise, downloads, whatever. Well, that is $50,000. Not a whole lot, but this is an example. What if you have 5,000 fans, etc.? You can make your living doing what you love without going viral and without being a superstar. It's nice to remember that. See, I have found my niche market, emotional arrangements of popular songs, so I keep doing more of that. That's the end of the email from Emil, so now let's get into it. South Carolina. That's right, yes. Uh, yes. Southeastern part of the state. The weather is usually, it's very mild, our mild winters, hot summers, but not terribly hot. And it's a beautiful part of the country. I mean, there are uh, lots, of, lots of green. Awesome. Why do you want to be on my little European uh, broken English spoken uh, podcast? I am I am so impressed that you speak three languages. Oh. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I speak English and music. That's it. Italian? No, that's my name. But uh, no, I don't. I, I have I have enough Italian to ask directions. Yeah, yeah. You recently released a book, right? Was it last year? Yes. Yes, and your. Um, Uh, agent, maybe, I guess, was kind enough to share a whole uh, copy of it with me. Okay, good, good. That was very, uh, very nice of her to do. And I've been through roughly half of it. So I just want to say first that in the beginning of the book, you could be more generous with describing what type of people the book can be for. You say uh, you say it's it's maybe not for you if you want to teach or it's not for you if you want to do something. Like I think uh, really many people could enjoy it. That's true. You know that I've had that comment from other people, and I was being so careful not to offend teachers. Like I'm, I have never made my my living as a teacher. I've just always been a performer, and I think. Some teachers can say, well, he, he doesn't have a teaching degree. He's not a professional teacher. So I, was, I think I, I did that a little bit too much. 
but it's it's basically for people. It's for people who like to play. You you were talking about that some on your on your Facebook page about what to do when you're playing the C major suite. Nothing. You're playing beautiful music, and you're making it feel. And I can uh, watching you play it. I could I could see that you you love the piece of music, and it's 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 just what it is. That's what it is. But this my book is about <clears throat> for so many people that I have heard who are fine musicians technically, and yet they don't move you in some way. And this is a trying to help people who have a, have difficulty getting themselves into the music. In the first part of the like the first half of the book, maybe it's pretty piano specific. Yes. Piano technique. But then it gets more and more general for, I mean, it doesn't have to be pianists. It can be if you're in a certain type of of show business, for example, if you're a, a performer in a certain way. And especially the last chapters, those were very interesting to me. I didn't read everything I want to read uh, yet, but I would really like to talk a bit about the last chapter. But before that, I I can imagine reading this book as an adult and thinking, oh shit, it's all too late for me now. Do you have something to say to all of those adults who didn't study music or make it their profession, but who discovered it later in life? Well, nowadays, it's easier than ever to start from nothing because of of the uh, because of the internet and because of streaming i i know i've been at it for 50 years i'm an old man but um i've been learning as the time goes when when i started it was it was uh cassettes and reel to reel tape and we were uh, selling in gift shops and bookstores and those are all gone so we went up to you know we put our uh our music onto this onto streaming. I've made 30 albums over the years, but I will never make another one because it's no point. Uh, now I, I record one song and put it up for streaming on streaming platforms. So I think that even if you're an older person, if you if you want to make if we're, if we're talking about making a living, you can start doing that by putting one song up, and it's just easier than it was 25 years ago. And take a business course. Hmm. Yes, business, business, business. Yeah. And you have to have <laughs> have a duty. <laughs> yes, that's what your last chapter is about. It's called getting down to business. Yeah. That was uh, that's a relevant one for me these days. Uh, I studied classical music. And only, only now have I started to use the word business in my vocabulary. It was just never on my mind at all. So this last chapter of your book uh, is a beautifully written account on this story about how your career started and expanded. But you only wrote about the things that went well. Oh, uh, every now and then, uh, I'm asked about what was the biggest challenge and what did you have to overcome, and I don't know if I'm if I live under a lucky star or what. We've never really had any any down points. I, I mean, my, I guess part of it is because um, my wife Judy is 
business-wise is excellent, and she also is very uh, meticulous about everything. So as soon as there's something new that has to be learned, she she works it out, and and she does it right. <laughs> and we, uh, what can I say? Early on, when I was your age, which is what twelve or something like that. <laughs> Me, I'm thirty-three. Oh my, yes, okay. Mm. I have a daughter that age, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> at those times I was playing cocktail piano. So I was making a few bucks a week, but it wasn't. There was nothing wrong with that. I felt great. I had a salary. I was able to pay my bills, and really, apart from a couple of years out of college, when I was very poor and doing other kinds of work uh, to make just to pay the rent, apart from that, I've been. It's been great, and we, it keeps evolving. It's even evolving now. I'm playing fewer live concerts and doing mostly uh, recording one song at a time. So it's it's all different now. But in the last couple of years, I, with with the pandemic, I stopped doing live concerts. I, I uh, you know, we had to uh, we had to cancel about ten concerts, and anyway, like everybody did, and. I found out that it felt pretty good and kind of relaxing not to have concerts ahead of me. And I, I really um, focused more on the uh, streaming. And that's what we're doing is pretty much streaming all the time. I mean, that, I mean that's what I'm, I'm not. I'm not retired completely from concerts. I'm doing some private events. But if you know that music is a business, and I'm, I'm with you, I didn't have the word business in my vocabulary. I, I got a job. I got a job playing at a restaurant, got a job playing at a club. And I didn't think business. I just thought I got a paycheck at the end of the week and I play my tunes. But because of when we, whenever when we started actually making recordings and we had to market them, we had a, uh, we had a distribution company called Life Dance, and they were set up for marketing. And that's kind of when I had my first introduction to the fact that music is a business. And you could, I know some absolutely stunningly beautiful musicians who are very poor and can't make a living and have to do other things. And it's because they're not, and they, the, the, I think the mistake here is to think you failed at music when in fact you failed at business. You can be an absolutely brilliant musician but if you're not a good business person, you won't be able to make a living at it. And that means you could be teaching full time or you could be performing. It's whatever your thing is. Uh, my whole career has been solo piano. It's just what I do and it's what I do best. And I don't know if I've gotten off the track or not. You kind of keep me reined in. I don't mind when it goes off track. Go wherever... Uh... You feel like going, yeah. Okay, what I feel like doing, by the way, I have two sisters who uh, are professional violinists. And so I grew up with classical too. I grew up entirely classical. And I played, I accompanied them, as, as it happens, we went to the same university. So I accompanied both of them on their junior and senior recitals. And uh, one of them has a music school now, and the other one plays, uh, teaches and she also plays in a gypsy jazz band. And we've all just, I think the most natural thing to do was make a living at playing music somehow. Yeah. And we figured out the somehow 
again, my sister who has the music school, it's a big music school. They have about 700 students and 50 teachers. It's a little, but she started that out of her, out of her living room teaching violin. And she uh, moved it over. It's been around for about 25 years now. And it's very successful. And in our family, nobody, nobody thought about doing anything except music. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but it was just a, a given that when, what are you going to do when you get out of school? Music somehow. Okay. I never, there was never any other, but, but I had to, in my case, I had to learn to play by ear, which I mentioned in my bio. I, I didn't, I didn't play anything by ear. And when I went to my first, uh, sleazy bar where I had a job to play piano, if someone would ask for a tune, I brought my, books, stack of books that big, and I'd look up the tune and play it. And then, of course, by then they were not interested in it anymore. So yeah. I found out I had to play it. Late. <laughs> so I, I I taught myself very arduously and very specifically taught myself uh, to play by ear. And then what I discovered was that all of these hundreds and hundreds of tunes that I had just heard growing up, in my case, there was the old standards, the musicals, movie themes, just things that you hear. I found out that if I could hum it, I could play it. And so all of a sudden, I knew like 1,000 songs. Yeah. Uh, well, when reading your business chapter in your book, I had to ask myself, who is my Judy? And uh, maybe more importantly, what are the tasks for my specific Judy. Mm -hmm. uh, and by the way, uh, a Judy is, well, she's your wife. And uh, she's also like you use her name as someone who does all the things that we're not taught in music school, mm -hmm. Bas basically. Uh, so she uh, or whoever once Judy is, is you know anything to do with running one's own business, promoting oneself, uh, maybe recording oneself, making a website, all the little things, right? For most of my life, I really didn't care about having a business or making a living from playing in the cello. So this is all new to me. And the first stage was maybe to figure out what I'd have to learn and what I could do. So in that sense, I'm my own Judy. My inner Judy set out to make a podcast and ask musicians about what on earth they are doing <laughs> and learn it a little bit that way. And for the past couple of months, my uh, inner Judy has gone through the struggle of making an online cello course. Oh, good. Yes. Uh, so, you know, my non-Judy self has had an easy time because making the actual content of the course has been by far the easy bit, you know? That's when I share what I actually know. How do you how do you start playing the cello? And filming myself doing that, that's been the easy part. And then there's been all the other things that I've had to learn. So for, uh, for a couple of weeks now, I've been just bogged down with those things, such as 
Anything to do with the user experience of an online product, you know, file sizes and uploading and downloading and sharing of files and VAT rules for this service. And do I need to have one of those privacy policies? All of those little, yeah. uh, on and on. Uh, so my Judy is really tired and needs a break and I will s very soon give her a break. But thanks to your book, I have a new appreciation for that type of work. And uh, the only thing I can do is simply to keep on working, keep on learning, but also to take a break sometimes because it's a lot. It is. It's, I think the, the, the biggest thing that you have accomplished is getting over the barrier of many of us have if it's business, I don't want it. Or if it's business, I'm not, I can't do it. And that is a barrier that a lot of us have to get over. I, I just, it was, there were artists and there were business people and they were two different things and never the twain shall meet. And I even had a disparagement for business. It's, you know, it's what other people do if you're not an artist. And that's a bad thing to have because it's, because the world runs on business. I mean, even, even Mother Teresa, in order to give away all her money, she had to raise money. You know what I mean? <laughs> Somewhere yeah. along the way, it was a business. There are people doing marketing. And and it's just, I think once you realize it's a part of life, it's just a thing. It's neither good nor bad. It's it's a thing. Hmm. Uh, that everything changes. And I, I, was, I was, as I say, I've been very, very fortunate that... Uh, that, I, that Judy can do this because I really cannot. I mean, I can, I can just barely balance a checkbook. And it's and I know there's a whole lot to learn. The thing is that where you are at your time, there are tons, as you already know, you can Google anything and get on YouTube a learning course on how to do this and how to do all the things that you were talking about. I don't mean it's easy, but it's available. Hmm. And when we started out 40 years ago, uh, Judy got up. She didn't know anything about the music business, but she she knew something about business. And she bought a book called This Business of Music, which is kind of the Bible of, of the music industry. And it was now it's 40 years old, so it's old news. I'm, I'm sure they have a new version. But she just read it cover to cover and she understood it. <laughs> mm -hmm. She understood it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but that's the when there is a book, then. I mean, comparing books to the internet, you know, when you search for something on the internet, you get a hundred different people saying their opinion about how something works. It's true. Uh, but finding one acclaimed book, reading that and just using that, that can take some pressure off the whole project. That's true. And you can probably still find that book. Uh, a new, I think I looked it up a year or so ago and they have a 12th edition or 100th edition, whatever. So you can. But I would say in that case, if you find something that speaks to you on the Internet, you go through 100, you go through 10 or 12, and you find one person who somehow communicates to you and makes sense, I would just stick with that what that person says and go there. It's a, it's a start. Mm -hmm. and, and the more you do it, the more you will find you have your own uh, your own way of doing things. But I think it's you find out as much as you can. Okay, I'm making a living on streaming, but I'm 
very old, and I have I have three hundred, four hundred songs online, and they're being streamed. So I've been doing that all this time. But when you're starting out, I just think there are so many more knowledgeable people than I. And I gave an outline of what we did in the book, but I wasn't doing the work of it. So, so mine is a kind of an outline that somebody has to do these things. And you're in a place and a time where, as we were talking about, you can have, uh, you can find all sorts of information online. Um, there are people much more able than I to talk about that. I, I just, what I guess what I mostly talk about is making your living as a musician and enjoying every day of your life. I mean, I'm just, I'm blessed in that way. I don't know what else to say. Because mm. I've, 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 had, I've had hard times, but n not really, not many. Um, it, it wasn't that I was always making a lot of money, because I, I wasn't, and I don't. I make enough. But I was making enough money when I was your age to pay my rent, have an occasional dinner out, and I thought, life is good. I'm doing what I love, playing music. I make enough money to pay my rent. And I have a few dollars left over, and life is good. I think it's part of my, part of it was my attitude. That it, it was my attitude. If I if I had made a hundred dollars and had five dollars extra, I was happy, you know. Uh, and and that changed over the years. But I'm the best thing for me has been always, always, always doing what I love. Always, I've never had a since since I was twenty five years old, I've never had a break in playing music for a living one way or another. And, and, and before, when I was doing cocktail and that sort of thing, uh, there was no business really involved. I was just going to work playing. And I, and I played for ballet classes and I played for, I did anything a pianist could do, accompanying singer. I lived in Los Angeles for 15 years. So there were a lot of actors and dancers and people in show business. And they all needed a companist for this or that. So I, I did that for a while. I was not aware, uh, so this is something you mentioned in your book, that for the opening of the Olympics there, yeah. you play, You were 84? For 1984. 84 pianists yeah. playing Rhapsody in Blue in unison. Yes, now, there's, a, there's a big backstory to that. It was yeah. impossible to play in unison, as you could guess. But it, two things, interestingly. First of all, I was living in Los Angeles. Rhapsody in Blue is not an easy piece to play. It's not a big classical thing, but it's not easy. And for the auditions, 165 pianists showed up, all of whom could play Rhapsody in Blue. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, there, there, there's that much talent and skill <laughs> and they can all play it well they yeah. just chose 84 of us really part of it was luck part of it was being in the right place at the right time but then there's no way that we could play together so and to rehearse it we had two weeks of rehearsal to rehearsal they had a room with uh, 12 upright pianos in the room and we would take 12 of us at a time and try to play together that didn't work. So what they did was they took four of us, and I was one of the four. And they had four of us play together. And we were able to 
we were able to play together uh, with with uh, with a track. The track was uh, the orchestral track was John Williams and the L.A. Philharmonic, and they played that track for us. And we played with it, and they recorded us, just four of us, and then they and then they looped it. So there were four more, and they looped it again, and there were twelve, uh, twelve tracks of piano with the orchestra, and with the editing and so forth. That is what was broadcast. Now, all of us were sitting there playing live, but we were not mic'd in the, in the actual opening ceremonies. Oh. You wouldn't have heard anything. I mean, there was this massive stadium. I forget how many thousand, 60,000, I don't know. And, uh, and the orchestra, there was John Williams conducting the orchestra. John Williams is only this big. <laughs> 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 and uh, he was conducting the orchestra live, and we were playing live. But none of it was being broadcast. So it was being broadcast. And so John Williams had headphones on so he could listen to the track and conduct the orchestra to the track. Hmm. And we were sitting there playing too. We could, we could hear the track and playing the best we could with it. But we weren't being yeah. mic'd. Right. So that's how that all happened. That was exciting I uh, didn't really believe it, so I had to go on YouTube to find a clip so that I could see it with my own eyes. Because <laughs> I couldn't, Im I have a good imagination, but I couldn't imagine 84 pianists playing in unison Rhapsody in Blue. I just couldn't. But it, it looked and sounded really impressive. But I understand there had to be a logistics um, yeah, nightmare. Yeah. In your book, you make it seem like kind of easy, everything. You write about getting on the latest new way of uh, promoting yourself or distributing your music, like when you went from cassette to CD to streaming or uh, like just get on the new train. But surely there must be some discrimination as well. I mean, uh, there are just so many things to choose from and so many new things that keep showing up all the time and you don't want to jump ship from your latest social media platform and get onto whatever the newest is at all time. Do you simply trust your gut feeling in this? No, it's not trusting your gut feeling. It's, it's it, There was so much on the business end that went on that I don't even know about. But for example, um, my wife also did the, I just keep, it just happens to be, I can say my business manager, I mean, she was, but it just happens, so it's handy to say Judy did this and that. But whoever does it, she had to find out how to do the, uh, she, she packaged all the, I'm, again, I made 30 albums. She packaged and did the artwork for, she didn't specifically do all the artwork, but, but she did a lot of it. She learned, again, she got Photoshop and she learned how to do Photoshop. She got uh, she got software f uh, for QuickBooks to to do all the marketing, to do all the uh, bookkeeping. She um, so many things. Right now, we have to deal with royalties. Every every song that I played is a is a is a cover tune. It's my arrangement of a another person's tune. So we pay royalties on all of those. Uh, just as an example. For every every album that you record is let's say it has twelve songs, you pay about a dollar sixty nine in royalties 
about that. That's what it used to be. I'm making this number up from what I remember. But all that had to be handled, and she had to find out how do you pay those royalties? Who do you pay those royalties to? How do you uh, keep your bookkeeping knowing that you're doing what you're doing? And, and now on the streaming, we get paid in royalties for my performance. So someone has to has to keep track of that, and that is, and she does that as well. So, so there was, there were a whole lot of learning curves, but we learned along the way because when we started, I made my first cassette, and Judy looked in a book. There's a book called um, a, a Billboard, Billboard magazine. Okay, you know Billboard. They had a book. They had a book of all the distributors of music in the United States. So there were hundreds. So she looked through all of those and she saw which ones distribute. In my case, it was called Easy Listening or Solo Piano or whatever that was that I do. And she sent letters to, they were turned out to be about six. So she sent a letter of introduction to each one of them and would you let us send you a cassette? One of them responded uh, out of those six. And meantime, I was playing cocktail piano. So I had, I was making a living playing cocktail at a restaurant. So one of them said, yeah, you can send us something. And we sent it to them and they liked it. And they asked for a few more and a few more and a few more. And for a lot of reasons, one, one reason was that at the time, um, solo piano was very popular. Uh, this is in 1990. And so we were lucky that there was just good luck timing. Uh, gift shops were selling cassettes at the time and then CDs, but gift shops were selling. There were thousands and thousands of small gift shops that sold a few items each. And the fact that in that genre, it just happened to be what I was very good at. And in the first year that we um, were selling CDs or cassettes, it was just... It was just Judy and me. So there was no business. There was no distributor, no nothing. And she sent to that distributor and they kept asking for more and more. And we didn't have the money to produce anymore. Uh, they finally wanted thousands and we, we, we couldn't produce thousands. Get, and you would get paid three months later for what you sold. So we just couldn't on my salary. So they said, how about we make a deal where we manufacture the CDs, the, uh, the, the company that had, the distribution company that had been ordering from us said, how about we make a deal where we do the manufacture and you get a percentage of whatever. So it, so it was basically a distribution deal. It wasn't a record deal. They weren't paying for the recording or anything else, but they were going to distribute and they already had the distribution channels. They distributed music and other items to thousands of gift shops. So thousands, literally thousands of gift shops would order five or 10 copies each. But in the, at the end of the first year, we sold 30,000 cassettes in one year. Now, we got paid a percentage for each one or whatever because they were doing all the manufacture and the packaging. Judy still did the design for the packaging and she wrote all the copy on the tray cards and all that. But, but they manufactured for us. Well, once, once we, we made very good friends with them and they had, they wanted me to make another cassette. I just had the one cassette. And that cassette, all these years later, well, in, in about 
six or seven years, that one cassette and became a CD sold over 600,000 copies. Uh, and it was, it was, I made it in one day. I was, uh, got up in the morning, recorded an album and went to work that night. And, uh, so I, that's why I say I'm blessed. I mean, I have a magic star hanging over my head. I mean, there, there is that, but Judy was doing all this work at the same time. And we were learning from the distribution, how, how the business works. Judy listened. I didn't, I didn't pay attention. I just played piano. We learned from them how distributing your music works, and it was distributing hard copies in thousands of small. I think there's a lesson there. You don't have to have you don't have to have Sony Records behind you. You can you can find a niche that you belong in and pour everything you can into that niche. I have a niche of easy piano. Easy piano in record stores would be back in the back collecting dust. But in a gift shop, they're playing the music as people are shopping. And then the person says, what's that? And they say, well, we have it here for sale. And uh, that, that was that, that marketing model at the time. It's totally gone now mm -hmm. uh, because of ASCAP uh, publishing rights, various things that happen. But it was very successful for many years, for like five or ten years. So, so, so yes... These things have to be learned, but there was somebody do. There was somebody on the case learning them, and and when we were with this uh, distribution company called Life Dance Distribution, they also had a recording studio that when they wanted me to make another album, well, I needed a place to make an album. I didn't have a studio. I have a recording studio now, but I didn't have one. There wasn't one uh, <clears throat> where I was living. Uh, I was now in in South Carolina, not Los Angeles. Mm. And so they wanted me to make a Christmas album. So because that would be so, we worked out that I could make a Christmas album. We did all the menu, all the designing, the labels, making the packaging, all that. But they manufactured it and sold it. And in the end, we started going to um, conferences where you sell music. We started. I mean, there was tons that. Tons of stuff, like what you're talking about, tons and tons and tons. We had to get a booth that you'd get in a, a trade show. We had to create artwork for the booth, banners and selling things. And at the time, it was VHS. We had a VHS player and a little TV screen to, to show what I did. And we had gifties to give away. And, I mean, there was... There was tons of stuff, and we did. We looked at. We went to about five of those shows a year, for maybe seven years. And when that changed, and it all did change, somebody asked me, "Do you want to?" Actually, early on, would you do any? Do you do any uh, live concerts? And I said, "Um, no." And Judy worked out that we could rent a place, do a live concert, sell tickets. When we had to, she had to learn how to do all that rent the theater, have the tickets made, how you market them, how do you get... It, it, you're right, there's tons to do, but the, 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 short, the short, the very long answer is that we did all those things. And I say we, meaning, meaning Judy and Life Dance and friends that we learned from along the way. But nine-tenths of it is it was one person doing it. And she's still doing that, except it's easier now because we stopped doing live concerts. 
in live concerts, <clears throat> she designed the lighting for the concert so that it wasn't just a re- it wasn't recital lighting. She'd have different lights uh, on the back screen. Uh, we do we do concerts for five hundred to a thousand seat auditoriums, and they all have different lighting fixtures. But she would design the lights. She didn't run them. She designed them and hand them to the lighting guy. And we had something like 30 lighting cues for each show because I would do 25 songs in a show. And she would change the lights coming up slowly. And I mean, she's an artist that way. So I just got lucky. (laughs) And I'm in the friggin' lucky club. (laughs) You didn't ever invest your time in something that didn't pay off? Yes. We had a, we, we spent $30,000 back in 1995, a whole heck of a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, in, um, but we were making tons of money. So we spent $30,000 on an, a TV ad to sell one of my CDs. And it didn't sell one CD. I mean, it was just, it was a total ripoff. It was like one of these, we didn't know any better. And somebody said, you should have a commercial selling your CD. And they had people looking at CDs. Oh, isn't this a nice CD? And I listened to it while I type. And it was a disaster. So we just, we had to write that off. And bigger than that, we were making lots and lots of money, okay, selling hundreds of thousands. In one year, we sold 360,000 CDs. I mean, so we made tons of money. So I wanted to spend it. (laughs) We almost had a divorce about that because I wanted fog machines in my show and I wanted (laughs) uh, a a big star curtain that had 5,000 lights on it and it spelled out an evening with a meal and it could sparkle and do all stuff. Well, we did all that. We spent $100,000 on my show and then it cost, and we had to have a a crew of about uh, five people to go into the new theater the day before and hang the curtains. We had one of those curtains, it's called, forget what it's called. Austrian drape, and we had um, snow machines <laughs> at Christmas. We had all kinds of stuff, and it was beautiful, beautiful show. But it cost us way more to present the show because we had to f- fly all the crew. It cost us like $15,000 to put on a show. So we did about four or five of those, and then Judy pulled the plug because there was no way we could do that. And we had all that stuff in storage. I finally gave it to the community theater where I live. Uh, all those, because tons of beautiful equipment. I mean, tons, it was a beautiful show. When, when we were talking to the guy who was designing the big show for us, I said, how much is this gonna cost? And he said, he said you're gonna hemorrhage money and you're gonna love it. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right, both. <laughs> I loved doing that show. I mean, it was just, ta-da, me. You know? <laughs> we got back to doing um, a show with just uh, some pretty lighting and and great sound and, and and me. Yeah. Was it captured on video? This uh, expensive, no. unsustainable? No. Yes, we have. Yes, we have very poor video. Yes, the, we did a couple of times. It's very fuzzy video on VHS. We never had it professionally done, which I is. <laughs> we had we hired someone to do it, but it wasn't. We didn't do a great job. We should have spent another twenty thousand on the. We have little bits of it, 
and it's, it's such poor quality that I don't do anything with it. But it sure was fun. And and as I say, apart from almost having a divorce over it, because she never wanted to do it, and she thought I'd gone crazy. <laughs> I was in. I was start. I was like, I don't know, just a new kid on the with a, in a toy store. And so yes, we had these difficult times, but it, it was nothing that we couldn't afford. We could afford at the time. I mean, we didn't want to, but I could afford to lose that money, and still come out of it. Uh, I mean, we couldn't have continued that way or it would have been disaster. But because Judy was in charge, I finally let her do her job. And, um, and she stayed married to me somehow. Yeah. I guess the, the, I guess the thing that I think of most of all for anybody is you find out what you do best and then pour your heart and soul into what you do best. I do all these years of doing one thing. I, I arrange cover songs and for some reason, my arrangements are, are very well-liked. And I pour everything I have into doing that. I don't try to do other things. I mean, I, I happen to be a... Uh, I do comedic monologues monologues in my show because I'm a comedian as well. But I do, I do what I do best, and I keep doing more and more and more of what I do best. And if I give you a good example, I love the way Elton John plays. I well, the, the, Billy Joel, Ray Charles, and all these... Piano, pop, pop piano players. I love what they do, but I can't do that. I can't do that style. I can't do blues. Uh, I've never had the blues like uh, a New Orleans person might, uh, a New Orleans singer, artist, you know? So I do what I do best. And meantime, in my own time, I'll play with those styles. I mean, I like to see how do they do that? How do they make that sound? I love it. And, and I've never been, uh, although I have a, my, you know, I made one Chopin album. I mean, I have my classical education behind me. Uh, I have an album of Chopin favorites. I did that mostly to kind of prove that I was real, you know. Um, but I'm not in the league with the uh, concert artists that are concert pianists that are playing with all uh, with the great orchestras and so forth. I'm just not in that league. I've always been pop piano, but in the realm of pop piano. I do it really, really well. It just happens to be what is really me. As far as trying all sorts of, particularly people who are starting out might find someone who is very successful or someone that they really admire and they say, if I could do something like that, well, they already did it. You mm. need to do something like you and really pour everything you have into it. What, what makes you, what is your comfort zone? What makes you feel the best? Is it, is it playing a solo of, the box sonatas, uh, I mean, suites or something, is, if that's what it is? Is it playing with a, a string quartet? Is it playing, uh, hiring out for, uh, the, when the musicals come to town, they hire local musicians to play in the pit orchestra, and you just love doing that? You know, you, then you start finding a, a trail of who, how do you get a job playing in the pit orchestra? I have a, a, a nephew who plays trumpet, and every show that comes to town, He's one of the musicians gets hired to play in the pit because he's a great reader. He loves doing it. He shows up. He's always, he's always dependable. And he, he plays, he does that every, again, every traveling musical show, he gets hired. And, he, and after, after a while, they get your name, your name is, gets to be known that you're somebody that you can depend on. 
So that's what he does, not as a complete living. He teaches, and he's very happy with his life. He loves teaching, and he loves playing for these traveling shows. And he also plays in a jazz band. So he does various things, but he has a very happy, happy life that he loves, and he's doing what he does best. He, uh, For example, if you're going to be in a uh, pit orchestra, you better read really well. I'm a terrible reader. I could never do that. He does. Mm. And, and that's and that's something that you think about with you as a cellist. Orchestras, they bring their usually bring their con, their conductor and a keyboardist and maybe a percussion guy, depending. And they hire the rest locally. And that's something that that string players can do, for example. You know, it, it's I think it's all about living a happy life. I have, a, I have such a happy, happy life. I love my life. And I have, even when I was making just a few dollars, I was loving what I was doing. I just couldn't wait to go to, to the restaurant at night and talk to people and play tunes and make jokes. And it was great. Yeah. And I mean, now you, you don't have to think much about how to make money you're pretty established at this point in your career to put it uh, like that so what's driving you now to do the things that you are doing I guess the love of making taking a song that I love and creating something about it you know I, I like um, I think of what I do is sound painting and when I do it right it just makes a, it makes a lot of people happy and it is very moving I'm, i'm very much into intense emotional music and that's what i love doing and then i again nowadays i'll make i'll take one song i can take as long as i want to do it i mean maybe six weeks to get one song just the way i like it and then put it up on streaming uh, i did some years ago i recorded this song uh, once upon a december from the movie anastasia a uh, animated film and that one has gotten lots of attention that one has been streamed 70 million times which means that people really really like that song <laughs> and I, that, that's again a stroke of luck because i don't have others that i don't have any other songs that do that well but i have 400 and something songs online so there's tons of them you know i'm saying all this because I mean, here I am at the 50 years later into my career, but the whole way has been, uh, it's been a progress of finding something that I love to do at the time. And, and I really do include, I, I played, when I lived in Los Angeles, there's this, um, a, a very famous club called the Comedy Store, which is all comedians. And, and I was the pianist who played a half hour before the show. And then... It was all comedy, so I'd play, they'd say, here's so-and-so, and I'd play, dum -da 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 -dum, and then he'd do his bit, and I'd play, dum -da 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 -dum, and that, that's what I did. But I sat, I sat there, that's how I learned comedy, how I learned how to be a comedian. Uh, I learned all the musicals by accompanying acting classes, and I, I learned a lot of tunes that I now play from playing for acting classes where the actors would have to sing songs from different musicals and uh, dance class where I learned I had to play some ballet music, some of the exercises, but also improvise. I learned to improvise 
to to their they had um, eight bars or sixteen bars or sixty four bars of whatever, and I had to improvise those things. And I and all the time I was loving loving what I did. I thought this is so cool. If I play this right, I can make them jump higher and twirl faster. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's just been great. <laughs> that you are still touring you're going to europe this year yes i yes uh, athens and uh from athens to venice every year we go we do something we did when i was in stockholm we went up the norwegian coast as well you know we did, and what we do is we have uh in this case 40 uh fans of my music and We take a, a travel agent. Again, a travel agent is the Judy. She does all this travel agent is wonderful. She sets up everything. And we, uh, t we have a, I play an opening concert when we arrive for our guests. And then on the ship that we, she always gets a ship that has a piano so I can play some throughout, uh, sometime through, during the cruise for our guests. And then a closing concert at one of the hotels. And it's always a nice hotel that we just rent a beautiful room that has a lovely uh, grand piano. So that's what we do every year. And this year, actually, the end of this month, going to Greece and Italy. Mm. And you're going to Iceland, I see. Yes. As well. Yes, that was wonderful. I loved it. Oh, my gosh. We're going again in March to Iceland. It was so popular that uh, more people went to go. They're, they're, they're mostly people my age as a matter of fact I, i remember asking somebody when i was about your age i was going to play on a cruise ship for the first time and i said what kind of people am i going to meet as passengers there and he said old people and their parents <laughs> <laughs> and now i are one oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're mostly old people and their parents but they're really nice old people I'm really impressed by what you have done and continue to do. I was really enjoying watching some of your uh, fine uh, art and fine music videos mm. where you play with mm. a painting. Uh, yeah. Is that also something Judy is doing? No, that we have a, I have a, well, there's another guy. I have a tech guy, brilliant, and he does those weekly. And uh, I take credit for them, but he, he's doing them. And he just takes one of my tunes and puts it to, and finds an artist to put the music to. Uh, but he, he is one who keeps 
track of streaming statistics, how well one is doing, one tune's doing, and another one's doing better, and suggest to me, why don't you play more like this tune if you can, my own tune, uh, my own, whatever one's a, the most popular, can you do an arrangement similar to that? And usually I cannot, but I, I do try. It's hard, to, it's hard to say what makes one song really speak to a lot of people. But I, I have always had in my, ever since I was playing Cocktail, I've always listened as, as I'm playing. I'm an audience member and I say, what would I want to hear? What would I like to hear? What would move me? What makes me satisfied when I play this phrase? And it goes like this and then it has this beautiful denouement and it just feels right. And that's what I try to do in my arrangements. My arrangements are sort of play the song, then improvise what I feel about that song and then play it again in a slightly different way. But, but that's what I do is arrange for piano. Beautiful. Do you have uh, something to say that hasn't been said? Something you want to say to the listeners? Well, I, I have a quote that I really like. It's not mine. It's from a, an author called Georgia Cates. And she said, music is what feelings sound like. And I love that because um, I try to think of what I'm doing as sound painting. And it's all about well, the title of my book, Play It Like You Mean It. I mean, just, you don't just say, we went to the beach and it was great. You say, oh my gosh, we went to the beach. The waves were beautiful. The sun was shining. It was, everyone was there and it was lovely. And that's arranging. That's what arranging is mm. to me. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be here to talk to you you're a delightful person <laughs> and a beautiful cellist i listened to enough to know that you're a beautiful cellist that's great oh thank yeah. you that's really nice to hear thank you for listening to this I'll remember to add one of Emil's recordings to the playlist I have on Spotify, which is also called The Musician's Journey Podcast. There you can listen to a very varied mix of music. For more about Emil and where to order his book, you can visit his website, emilpandolfi.com. I'm happy you're here. Take care. <laughs>